0: good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? I have the honor today of introducing a very special speaker for the last message in our series. But before I do, I want to mention to you what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So next week, as Pastor Cindy mentioned, we are having our Vision Sunday right here at First Church. Sunday, September 10th, 2017 is Vision Sunday, 2017. We want to encourage you to make sure that you are present for that Sunday. And not just you, but we encourage you to bring your family, bring your friends, bring your loved ones, bring the people you don't like. They're going to get saved. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really good on Vision Sunday 2017. As God speaks to us about what his future is for Kankakee First Church of the Nazarene. We believe it is going to be an incredible day. We're going to launch our vision statement our mission statements, and the eight core values that we believe that God has laid on our hearts as a staff, as a leadership team, and as a leadership of the entire church. So we look forward to being together, Vision Sunday 2017. The next Sunday, September 17th, we want to mention to you a a really special Sunday because as many of you know, that is the one-year anniversary of the funeral of our pastor, uh, Pastor Heck, September 17th. On that day, we're going to have a special memorial time for him in the service. And as a part of that day, I want to say a special thanks, not sure where he is this morning, to, to Alan and Chardell Smallwood. Uh, Alan has organized a, a bike ride and a silent auction that will take place immediately following the service. And all the proceeds from that are going to go to a, a project called Motorcycles for Missions. It's Motorcycles for Missions. $1,500 buys one motorcycle for a missionary who's out on the field. And what we believe is that through the silent auction, through the generosity of our giving, we believe that we can put a couple of motorcycles on the field in honor of our pastor, Pastor Heck, on the one-year anniversary of his funeral. So we encourage you to be with us on that day, September 17th. It'll be a really special time together. Well, I want to introduce to you now a woman who probably needs no introduction. Uh, Pastor Simone Twible has been a part of this church for uh, many years. 2007 to 2010, she served as the Hispanic pastor uh, right here at First Church and developed a a thriving, uh, growing ministry both inside and outside the walls of the church. Uh, She has earned degrees from Olivet in both psychology and sociology. She has two earned master's degrees, one from Olivet, one from Asbury Theological Seminary. And she is ever so close to earning her doctoral degree, her PhD in intercultural studies through Trinity International University. She is a fresh one week into her tenure as the lead intercultural studies professor at Olivet Nazarene University, and she hasn't quit yet, for which we are very grateful, and her students already love her. Uh, She's a professor. Uh, She's in the midst of writing her doctoral dissertation. She is six months pregnant with her second child, a daughter who is due in December, and uh, she is a wonderful woman. Uh, She's a great preacher, she is a brilliant mind, a wonderful professor. And as many of you know, she is also my beautiful wife. And so if you would, I'd ask you to show some honor and respect to her as she joins us today to bring the word of God to us.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. For, for just one minute, I was starting to think, who is that person? <laughs> but then, yeah, the Lord is good. And good morning. It's so good to be here with you this morning. And, and thank you so much, Pastor Andrew, for the opportunity to come and share the word of God with the people of God. It is really an honor. Um, you know, I, I, I for a few weeks ago when Andrew came to me and said, would you like to preach the last uh, sermon for for the series? I hesitated for a minute. I mean I was starting my new job and and then I quickly remembered the words of my father when I was growing up as a as a kid. He used to tell me, Simone, as a Christian, you must always be ready for two things. You must be ready to die and you must be ready to preach. And boy, since I am not ready to digest quite yet, I, I quickly said yes to preaching. And here we are this morning preaching uh, from the scriptures that we have been using for the sermon series, Letting Go. And Andrew gave me the very last sermon, and it is the hardest sermon of them all. Letting Go of My Right to Myself. Now, the scripture will be here on the screen, and I'm going to actually invite you to stand with me as I read the scripture And I'm going to invite you to read it with me. It comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. So this is the word of God for the people of God, and this is what the word says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endures such a position, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you, Lord, because in the past, You spoke through the prophets to our ancestors. But in these latter days, you have speak to us through your spirit, Lord. You speak to us by your son. You speak to us through your word. And so open up, Lord, the ears of our souls. Open up the eyes of our hearts that we may hear from you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in America, we love to talk about rights. Human rights, civil rights, legal rights, the bill of rights, the undeniable rights that we have all been endowed with. All sorts of rights. So for me to preach about giving up my right to myself seems a little bit of a counterintuitive, even countercultural statement, doesn't it? And yet we all know that as Christians, this is the essence of being a disciple of Christ. For Christ himself said, if anyone wants to come and be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, a life that fails to submit to God to relinquish itself will be destitute of all that God has intended for that life to be. Because you see, Jesus tells tells us also that whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for his sake will find it. Jesus knew that an inwardly focused life, that is a life focused on my wants, my desires, my preferences, my opinions, would slowly become frozen on the mountain of self-centeredness and quickly wither in the valley of self-preservation. So that's why the writer of Hebrews warns us admonishes us and tells us to throw off let go relinquish everything that hinders so that you may indeed receive everything that god has intended for you to experience so how do we throw off everything that hinders in fact what is that hinders us most in our christian walk with christ well most most often than not it is ourselves And when we talk about self, I can't wait but think of two things that usually come attached with it. Selfish desires and undisciplined thoughts. How do we let go? How do we throw off our selfish desires, our undisciplined thoughts, these things that so easily entangles us? How do we live our lives yielded to the Holy Spirit? How do we let go? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us a few hints, and here, for the sake of time, I will just consider two of them. And first one, if you're taking notes, as Pastor Andrew loves to say, mark this down. Number one, (laughs) see, I pay attention. Never hang your head, okay? This is number one, never hang your head. As we read through the book of Hebrews, it becomes clear and evident that the writer is, is writing to an audience An original audience that had been undergoing a lot of suffering, difficulties, trials, and persecution. And so listen to what Hebrews 10.32 has to say about their experience in the past. It says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. The writer is encouraging them in light of what you've experienced and the faithfulness that you have shown. Suffering will come, has come, but guess what? Now the the audience is, is experiencing suffering again. And so that's why he writes chapter 12 to tell them about the way God disciplines his children. And that's why he begins to tell them that in light of the victory that awaits them, in light of the hope that is coming, in light of all the people that had gone before them in chapter 11, and had been faithful to the very end. In light of all of this, he says, don't hang your head. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't throw away your confidence, but keep going. Run with perseverance. Now the word perseverance here, it comes from the Greek word hupomone, which literally means patient endurance. How do we develop endurance? Well, if you were to run to ask runners, They would tell you that the way to develop endurance is by increasing mileage. You have to run long distances, and that's how you develop endurance, okay? Now, here's the thing. If you don't have a lot of endurance in your life or a lot of perseverance, you might be saying, well, I just have to pray about that. Be careful with what you pray because, you know, I'm not a very patient person by nature, and I used to pray all the time, Lord, please Please give me patience. Lord, I, I need patience. And one day the Holy Spirit nudged me and said, stop praying for that. I've already answered that prayer. I'm like, oh, yeah? And he said, yes. I gave you Lucas. And so now, oh, definitely. Lord, thank you so much. I, uh, I am definitely learning patience for sure. But you see, the way that we develop endurance, the scripture tells us, is through trials. James tells us that it's the testing of our faith that produces Perseverance. Romans tells us that it is suffering that produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character, hope. So we find that it will be natural for us to develop endurance because suffering and trials will come to all of us. When I was a college student at Olivet, I had the privilege and opportunity of running cross-country and track and field. And yeah, I have a picture right here to prove that this story is true. And I used to be one of those crazy long-distance runners who ran like 50 or 100 or 1,000 laps around a circle. How fun. You know, and uh, that was your way to develop endurance. And so I trained hard. In my senior year, I miraculously qualified to run at the national level. And I qualified for the marathon out of all things. Oh, I was so excited. I was going to get to compete with all these wonderful athletes from the nation and run the marathon. Oh, so, so cool. Well, the big day finally arrived and I was ready. I had trained hard. I had put in my miles. I was so excited and I had a plan. I was going to start, well, pretty slow, I mean, you have 26 miles to catch up. It's a long race. And so, you know, I, that's exactly what I did. I started slow. And, uh, and that was a great strategy because you know what? By mile 10, boy, I was passing all these girls who were already getting tired. And here I was running as fast as I could. And, you know, like I'm like having the race of my life. And these girls were getting weary and tired. And I'm passing them. And by mile 15, I couldn't believe it. I was in second place. Oh, my word, I'm going to win this race, I thought to myself. And I'm competing next to this other girl. And I'm like, well, I better get rid of this girl. And uh, oh, she's going to get rid of me. And uh, by mile 19, I said, she hasn't quit. And so I'm going to speed up. And boy, I sped up. And by mile 21, the unexpected happened. I hit a wall. Not a physical wall. Okay, if you're a runner, you know what I mean. It's like the famous runner's wall where your body shuts down. And your brain, between there's a disconnect between your brain and your legs. Your brain is telling your legs to go, and your legs won't respond. Yes, it's a great experience. And so you're just running over there, and you're trying your best to make it. And oh boy, I had a great coach. And Coach McDowell, I'm sure he's here this morning, he was one of the most fantastic coaches. He always was so encouraging and positive. And I could see him there on the sidelines, and I'm like, boy, I just can't make it. And so by mile 22... Yeah, these girls are passing me and I'm like getting discouraged and I'm thinking I'm going to quit. But mile 23 coach is like, I hear his voice. He's like, keep going, Simone. You can do it. You're almost there. And I'm like looking at him like, yeah, right. Easy for you to say. And so I'm like just trying my best to put one foot in front of the other. But mile 24. Boy, I was no longer thinking about quitting. I was thinking about dying. It sounded so much better. Oh, it was just like fantastic. Well, I said to myself, I had two miles left. I mean, I ran 24. What's two? Just put one foot in front of the other. And I saw the finish line over there. And boy, when I crossed the finish line, I collapsed. And I have no idea what happened next because my coach used to tell me that I just started speaking Spanish. But... <laughs> You know, I was like delirious, so dehydrated. But God knows it was no Spanish. It was some sort of angelic language preparing me for my eternal home that day. (laughs) You know, and uh, God said, no, I'm not ready to be uh, here with you yet. (laughs) You have a lot of more years down there. And so he kind of revived me, and here I am today. But, you know, looking back, it wasn't that bad. I mean, at least I can say I ran a marathon. And once was enough. (laughs) So that's what Hebrews is telling us this morning. Hebrews is telling us that in life, we will hit some walls and they will come unexpectedly from nowhere. And we will have no energy to keep going, no desire to move on. And it is in those moments when the voice of God will come to you and will say, don't give up. But give up your right to give up. Come to me. I will give you strength. I will be your shelter. I will be your rock. I will be your fortress. I will be with you until the ends of the earth. Keep going, keep moving forward. I will be your guide when you feel lonely. I will be your companion when you feel like you are by yourself. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. Because I am your God, the Lord, that is with you until the very end of the earth. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is the kind of God I am. I am with you until the end. And so we don't give up. We endure. We endure. We persevere. And we keep moving forward. I, I, there's a quote by Martin Luther King that puts this very succinctly and he says, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, keep moving forward. So how do we give up our right to ourselves? Well, first, we give up our right to give up. We never hang our head. And second, if you're taking notes, we always lift our eyes. In moments of trials, our natural inclination will be to look back, to begin to see all the hurts, all the pain, all the hang-ups, all the wounds, all the bad habits that we have formed along the way. And it will be easy to just get fixated on our hurts and our pain. But Hebrews tells us here what we have to do instead. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, I'm going to show you a picture, and I, I'm taking this, this illustration from a preacher. And as a good academic, I'm going to give her credit and borrow it. Okay, and so <laughs> I'm going to show you this picture, and this is open participation. It's, a, it's not a trick question, so it's open for anyone. What do you see here in this picture? Yes, wow, you guys, you are so smart. Yes, indeed, there is a black dot right in the middle. It's a black dot, but there's a lot more white space around the black dot, isn't there? But our eyes have been programmed to see the black dot. To get fixated on that black dot. And this is what happens in life. We all have these black dots in our lives. And when we focus on that black dot, then our perception of life is filtered through the black dot. And you know, we have all been experienced and inflicted with those black dots. For some, it could be a broken marriage or the experience of rejection as a child or an addiction that you can't seem to break or the black dot of poverty or the black dot of shame or the black dot of a dysfunctional family or the black dot of emotional instability or the black dot of sexual abuse. Whatever is that black dot in your life, that black dot has defined you, who you are. And it could have been a teacher who said to you, well, you were just not smart enough. Or a parent who said to you, I wish you had never been born. Or the friend who used to tell you, you're just stupid. You're just a manipulator. You're just ugly. Whatever it is that you have started to believe about yourself and defined your life in terms of the black dot, God has something different to say about who you are made in his image and likeness, and transformed by his presence. You see, this black dot skews the way that we see life, the way that we perceive things, and it happens to all of us. For me, the black dot came about 10 years ago, when uh, my twin sister, my best friend, was suddenly diagnosed with a severe mental illness. And uh, for the last 10 years, this mental illness robbed her and took away everything from her, her job, her career, her dreams, her husband, her future, almost her very own life. And for the last 10 years, the experience has been quite devastating for our family. The suffering has been intense. The pain has been very deep. And for the 10 years, the ups and downs of life, boy, there was a period in my life when all I could see was that black dot. And all of a sudden, this black dot became all that I could see. All of a sudden, darkness was all I could see. Anxiety was all I could hear. Despair was all I could think of. Anger was all I could hold deep inside. And God began to tell me. Simone, you must make a decision. What will you focus on? Will you focus on this black dot or will you focus on me? Because you cannot do both. And God began a process of healing in my own heart. And he began to renew my mind. And it's been a process of restructuring all those lies that I had allowed myself to believe about myself and my family. That led me into that dark tunnel. And I'm here to tell you today that it is when you have nothing left that you are absolutely at the end of yourself. That you look up and say, Lord, you can have it all. That he takes over and begins to shape you and form you and transform you by the power of his presence, by the goodness of his heart. Because even when I was in the pit in the darkest moments of my life and I remember pleading with God, please don't leave me here. He would come and wrap his arms around me with his love. And his presence was always so real that I knew the kind of God he was. Because even when we are faithless or unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God he is, who is almighty, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing. And he will come and take you out of the miry pit. And take you to his glorious presence where you can be healed and transformed and renewed and made no this is the kind of God that we serve you know I want to share this with you because it's it's happened to me but at the end of your obedience there is freedom at the end of your pain there is hope. At the end of your suffering, there is healing. And God will come in and he will do his work in you. So this is the decision that each one of us will be faced with. What will we focus on? Will we focus on the black dot? Or will we focus on him? Fix our eyes on him. Allow him to come and renew us. Psalm 34.3 says this, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. How do we magnify the Lord? He's already big enough. He doesn't need to be magnified. Yes, you magnify the Lord by exalting his name, by making him bigger than your issues, bigger than your problems, bigger than your circumstances, bigger than your past, bigger than anything that could come against you. Because he is almighty and he is enough and he is all that you need today you began to shift your perspective from your pain unto his present, from your past unto his present, from yourself unto himself, you might notice that perhaps not all your problems will dissipate, but that his presence will just come in and show you a different perspective, a different way as you abandon yourself completely to Christ as you give up your right to yourself you begin to shift that perspective and you allow his healing touch to come and heal those deep wounds and heal the pain you will find that his love is all that you need for absolutely nothing can separate us from his love neither the past nor the future, neither demons, nor angels, neither the darkness, neither the danger, neither the nakedness. Absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And that is the hope that we have. Now I want to pause here for a few minutes because I know that so many of us have gone through difficult times. Perhaps you're experiencing a wall even now in your own heart. And I want to encourage you to just bring it to the Lord and leave it at the foot of the cross. And allow his healing touch to come and repair and restore and renew that area of your heart. I want to close with a famous parable written by a philosopher in the 19th century. A renowned Danish philosopher by the name of Soren Kierkegaard. You've probably heard of his name before. and He wrote this parable entitled Duckland. And this is what it says. It was a lovely Sunday morning, and all the ducks came to church waddling through the doors and down the aisles and through the pews where they comfortably squatted. And when all were well settled and the hymns were sung, the minister waddled into the pulpit and opened the duck Bible and began to read, saying, Hear ye, old ducks, ducks, you have wings, and with wings you can fly like eagles. You can soar into the sky, ducks. You can escape the confinement of fences and know the joy of absolute freedom. Ducks, use your wings and fly. It was a marvelous and inspiring message. And all the ducks nodded with their beaks and they all said in unison, amen, hallelujah, preacher. And when the benediction was given, They all got up from their pews and then turned around and each one of them waddled out of the door and through the town all the way home. Friends, we have been given wings to soar like eagles. We have been given feet like the feet of a deer to enable us to go on the heights. We have been given the freedom through the blood of the Lamb and the power of the Spirit. We have been made to fly. And yet so many of us are still waddling through the sacrifice of the Lamb. We are not victims of our circumstances. We are victors. So don't hang your head. Lift up your eyes and bring everything to the foot of the cross, and he will set you free by the power of his name. God bless you.